Good morning. Happy Father's Day, dads. Happy. Uh, oh, thank you. That's very good. It's good to see you all this morning. Want to shout out to our uh, folks. We got a number of folks in Mexico right now, uh, down along the border, serving. So if you're live streaming or not, we're not sure. By faith, we're assuming you are, and uh, because I know you love Jesus. So we just want to uh, want to welcome all of you all, and just let uh, all of you know to be praying for them. I know you are, but just a reminder in case uh, that's kind of slipped your mind. So be uh, be praying for them. Uh, I should say, uh, dads, as you head out the door, we have a little gift for you. So. Uh, it's kind of along the lines of what we did for the moms, if you remember those of you heard from Mother's Day. So, uh, but it's, it's different, but it's along the lines. So you'll uh, just make sure you look for that as you're headed out. And as Tara mentioned, I hope that uh, some of you will hang around for the baptism afterwards as well. want to uh, give you a quick update on, uh, before I start my message actually, uh, on our friends uh, John and Jane Doe, who were here last week. Uh, so if you happen to miss last week, we have uh, ministry partners in North Africa. And last week, we had, our theme was a case study, was what it was last week, uh, of faith. And it was a lot of, about what they're doing in North Africa. And part of along that line, you remember a few weeks ago when we did the intercession message? We talked about you know, praying for 45 days for something. Remember that? Remember that? Okay, just making sure. So anyway, uh, we, we talked about that. And then, uh, so we kind of brought that back last week because the idea was God help North Africa. You remember we were praying about that? Yes. Kind of with me? So uh, I get this email yesterday and uh, thought you might appreciate it. He wanted me to kind of share it. So uh, here, here's what he wrote. Just listen close. I spoke with my ministry partner, his ministry partner over in North Africa a few days ago, who went out to visit the shepherd again. Let's pause. You missed this. Remember the shepherd? Shepherd out, kind of this guy who'd had a dream, not a believer. Jesus has a dream of two guys showing up who are going to you know, bring light to his home and blah blah blah. It was like it's like amazing Acts, Book of Acts kind of stuff. Okay, so he's going to have a dream. They go looking for the shepherd again. They go out to visit the shepherd again. I thought you might be interested to hear the story. John writes. Uh, my ministry partner was able to call the shepherd again and arranged to meet with him last week. So he and another friend went out to find him. After driving for about 25 kilometers, uh, kilometers past his location and eight unanswered phone calls by the shepherd, remember he's got a cell phone, uh, they stopped to ask for directions. The person they asked says, yes, I know the place. It's back 25 kilometers of the other direction. And if you're headed that way, could I have a ride? Of course, they agreed and found out that this person has a piece of metal that's become lodged in his chest and is heading to the clinic for a follow-up visit, and were able to pray for him in the car over him in the name of Jesus. As soon as, Remember, this is North Africa, 99% of the people, not Christians. Okay? Prayed for him in the name of Jesus. As soon as they dropped him off, they were immediately able to get a hold of the shepherd. Seems that Jesus wanted our friends to meet this man with a medical issue in order to pray over him in Jesus' name. Upon arrival at the shepherd, they found him sitting next to a well. His warm welcome is followed quickly with an admission. I haven't read or listened much to the stories you gave me. Pause. They gave him stories, Bible stories that were uh, files that he was able to put on his cell phone. Okay, listen to, recorded, five, scripture on tape, basically, okay? 
He says, I, I haven't read or listened much to the stories you gave me because I couldn't figure out how to find them on my phone. But a few days ago, the phone just randomly started playing a Bible story. <laughs> the story was about a woman sitting next to a well and talking to this man named Jesus. But I didn't understand it. Will you explain the meaning of this to me? After a few hours of sharing the word with our shepherd friend, they departed full and joyful of how Jesus is reaching out to this shepherd with his word and how this man is starting to find joy in the Father. He goes on and says, We've also found out since that he has been sharing the word on the recorder that we gave him to other men in the village, sharing stories of the word of God. And he just writes, this is what uh, John writes at the end. Be encouraged, Southwoods. Your prayers, quote, God help North Africa, unquote, are making a difference. He goes on and says, a movement of the gospel will happen in North Africa. Have faith. Thank you again for walking with us in this journey. So just a little encouragement to, uh, to keep praying. Uh, if we were going to pray for 45 days straight, we've got seven down. Okay, seven down. Not that we're counting. Not that we have to stop at 45, but... Uh, that's is that cool? Is that cool? Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. A little coincidental that he was sitting next to a well talking about a woman at the well. That's the pat. You just think of all of the all the coincidences that are not coincidence. So, all right, let me pray for us and we'll dive into our message. All right, Father, thank you for every person here, every person listening in via live stream. Just grateful for your grace, and we appeal to you to speak to us from your word. We we appeal to you for strength to be authentic men and women of God who live out our faith, even in tough situations. Uh, we recognize that apart from you, that just isn't going to happen. But with you, uh, the weak, like us, can be made strong. So we ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. In a series the last few weeks, as I mentioned, it's called Help Me Understand Faith. And throughout the series, we've talked about, if you notice, we've got, if you kind of notice the graphic every week, it's, it's sort of designed to be a reminder of what faith really is. And the F, how many of you remember what F stands for? I hear it kind of follow. It's, faith is all about learning to follow God, to value what He values, to, to say what He would say in a, in a given situation, to to serve as he would serve. To, I mean, it's learning to follow Jesus, not myself, not everybody around me, not the media. It's following Jesus is what faith is all about. Faith is all, remember what the A is? Action. It's all, faith is an action-oriented kind of thing. It's not a cerebral exercise. It's not just a confession. It is an action-oriented lifestyle. Again, living as Jesus would live. How many of you remember the I? Intercession is really what it is. It, it, if you're going to become somebody who prays, you've got to have faith. I mean, why else will you talk to an invisible being? Why would you do that? Some people get locked away for such things. Okay? Why not you? It's because you're interceding on behalf of someone or some other situation. You're interacting with God is what you're doing. It's intercession. It's an intercession-oriented lifestyle. When I encounter things or circumstances or needs or situations or people where I need help beyond what I have in my immediate disposal to do something with, 
I intercede on their behalf. I, I seek God for power and help and strength is what I do. That's a, it's a lifestyle of faith. Faith involves today trust. The element of trust. Each of us has got to learn to trust in God's wisdom, goodness, and compassion more than we naturally do. You see, it's one thing to say, I trust God. It's an entirely different thing to live that way, particularly when life isn't going the way you want it to. You see, it's easy to say, I trust God when everything's going my way. But what, when, what do I, who do I trust? What do I really trust in? When life isn't exactly going my way. We want to give you this morning a a mental picture of someone who trusted against the odds, is the way I would phrase it. Someone who, who defied normalcy when it comes to trusting God. I hope that as I walk you through this man's life that you'll go, man, what a hero of faith. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not tested to that extreme. This morning, we could talk about some of the heroes of faith. We could talk about people like Abraham, Gideon, David, Esther, Daniel. We could talk. There's a long list of these heroes of faith, men and women who, who followed God and trusted Him, were action-oriented in their faith, and trusted it in unbelievably difficult circumstances. This morning, I want to remind you of a faith-filled and faithful prophet named Jeremiah. For any of you who are maybe unfamiliar with Jeremiah, he was a somewhat timid and insecure young man when he was called by God. But he was singled out by God to carry out a difficult and painful task. God asked him to be a prophet to Israel at the time of its destruction about 600 years before Christ. 600 B.C. Plus or minus a few years, right around there. For any of you who don't know much about the job of being a prophet, here's the primary component of Jeremiah's job description. He was a prosecuting attorney. He was a prosecuting attorney appointed by God, the supreme judge of all heaven and earth. It was his job as a prophet to unflinchingly indict the people who sinned in his generation and then warn them of the consequences if they kept doing it. You want to sign up for that job in our generation? Uh, Jeremiah was a pretty popular guy, wouldn't you think? Don't you think he was invited to dance on Ellen DeGeneres' show? <laughs> not. Not happening. Politicians then, just like politicians now, hated someone publicly exposing their private sins. Business owners then hated someone pointing out their greed and selfishness every bit as much as business people hate that today. Average citizens then hated someone calling attention to their immorality, their tolerance for evil, their intolerance for God and His ways back then just as much as they hate that now. The truth is, if you know the story of Jeremiah, the entire nation knew his name. And unlike Billy Graham, they hated him. They hated him. Instead of listening to Jeremiah and changing their ways, they steadily became more determined to sin. And after years and years of warning Israel, the warnings of Jeremiah and the prophets who preceded him, they just kept shoving cotton in their ears, not listening 
God finally reached the end of his patience, and here are the words that he spoke to Jeremiah recorded in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 15 and following. This is, and by the way, I'll say this is shortly, this is in the framework of like when God calls Jeremiah to follow him. Okay, this is part of what God says to Jeremiah. Listen, I am calling the armies and kingdoms of the north to come to Jerusalem. They will set their thrones at the gates of the city. They will attack its walls and all the other towns of Judah. I will pronounce judgment on my people for all of their evil. Let me just say, if you're among the crowd that believes that God will never judge evil, and there's a growing crowd of those folks in our, in our culture today, let me just encourage you, don't read the book of Jeremiah, because it will mess with your assumptions. Okay, But if you want to read carefully what the scripture says and understand who God really is and the way he does relate to the world, whether we like it or not, you got to read Jeremiah. And he's saying, I'm going to pronounce judgment on my people. Not because I hate them. It's because of all of the evil that they have chosen. Then he says to Jeremiah in the verses that follow, and again, Jeremiah already knows that being a prophet's not an enviable job. He says to him, get up and get dressed. Go out and tell them whatever I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I have made you immune to their attacks. You are strong like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. None of the king's officials, priests, or people of Judah will be able to stand against you. They will try, but they will fail, for I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken." You know, since most of the people couldn't stand Jeremiah's presence, much less his message, don't you know Jeremiah took comfort in those final words that God spoke, where he just said, you know, I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. Because I suspect that during that era, offerings for Jeremiah were down. (laughs) Attendance was down. This was not exactly you know, your successful ministry era that's going on here. During the first years of Jeremiah's ministry, all seemed to go well. Of course, people weren't listening, but I mean, there were few personal consequences for Jeremiah. I mean, they weren't willing to listen, but the price was acceptable to him, you might say. Timid Jeremiah thought to himself, God is with me, I think. I mean, I think he thought to himself, I'm saying harsh and pointed things to people who hate me, but thankfully God is with me. No one's harmed me. And, and one day God told Jeremiah to go to the local potter's house where he was going to give him a message for all the people. And as the potter was working at his pottery wheel, the Bible tells us that this large and beautiful clay pot was being shaped And it became disfigured in the potter's hands as he was forming it. And so the potter looked at it, mashed the clay again, just mashed it up in a wad and started all over again. Only this time he reshaped it into an entirely different kind of pot. Less attractive, but more useful. Immediately after that, God gave this message to Jeremiah to pass on to the people. And these were God's words, Jeremiah 18, 6 and following. And listen carefully to what God says. 
because he not only addresses Israel, he's addressing a principle of how he relates to nations. Okay, so listen carefully. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will build up and plant a certain nation or kingdom, making it strong and great, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless that nation as I had said I would. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem and say to them, this is what the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what's right. When uh, Jeremiah stood before the people, he delivers the message. The Bible goes on there in verse 12 to give us their response. Their response was, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, following our own evil desires, they said. And people said to each other a few verses later, verse 18, Come on, let's find a way to stop Jeremiah. We, we have our own priests and wise men and prophets. We don't need him to teach the law and give us advice and prophecies. Let's spread rumors about him and ignore what he says. And they began to publicly plot his destruction. Publicly plot his destruction. That made Jeremiah a little more nervous, you might imagine, as you might imagine. A few days later, God had more to say to the people. He told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 19, verses 1 and following, he says, Go and buy a clay jar, and then ask some of the leaders of the people and the priests to follow you, and go out into the valley of the son of Hinnom by the entrance to the potsherd gate, and repeat to them the words that I give you. I want you to listen real carefully to what God says to him in in, in the verses that follow. Because in the next few verses, the evil things that God indicts Israel for are really clear. And you'll understand a little better why God was angry with them and going to judge them as he did. This is what God had Jeremiah say to the people. Listen to this message from the Lord, you kings of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will bring such a terrible disaster on this place that the ears of those who hear it will ring. For Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. The people burn incense to foreign gods, idols never before worshipped by this generation, by their ancestors, or by the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. They built pagan shrines to Baal, and there they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. Do you get the picture of what's going on here? Literally, they're taking their baby boys, and they're throwing them in the fire as a sacrifice to the god Baal. That's what they're doing. God says, I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. So beware, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when this place will no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And after saying all that and more, God told Jeremiah this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. As this jar lies shattered, 
So I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem beyond all hope of repair. When Jeremiah got done with that sermon, people didn't like it. Their hatred boiled over. The chief officer of the temple had him beaten, had him placed in wooden stocks outside the temple. You remember the wooden stocks? It's kind of like you have to go back in history to do this. It's like you make the wooden thing. I thought about getting a picture and then I forgot about it. ADD moment. But it's like this. You you have your hands through here and your neck through there and it will clamp down and you're immobilized in the public square like this just outside the temple. And all day long, the Bible tells us, the people filed in large numbers in front of him, spitting on him, insulting him, hitting him, mocking him. The whole time he's like this, can't do nothing. Thankfully, he was released the next day, but Jeremiah felt a little bit betrayed by God because God had said, I'll be with you and I'll take care of you. And Jeremiah, in his mind, thought, I'm not going to be beaten, executed, etc., etc., is what he understood God to be saying, but as he's standing in the stocks, he realizes he misunderstood what God was saying. It's a little disillusioning. Ever had a moment where you... Felt like God told you something and then it doesn't happen or come together exactly as you thought. And you kind of have that moment of like, I don't think I understood that right. And you have a choice. Will you be mad at God and judge him for your misunderstanding? Or will you just humble yourself and kind of go, drat. This stinks. And process it. What we find in Scripture, Jeremiah was disillusioned and he poured out his heart to God in prayer and spilled the flood of conflicting and overwhelming emotions that he felt onto parchment. And um, it's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 20. Here's some of what he wrote, not the whole thing, but some of it, little excerpts. He says, Oh God, You persuaded me, and I allowed myself to be persuaded. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. He's basically calling God a bully. Just saying, "You, you powered up on me. Now I'm mocked by everyone in the city. Whenever I speak, the words come out in a violent outburst. Violence and destruction, I shout. Do you see what he's saying? He's complaining to God about the message that he's been given to share. Day in and day out. And it's just, it comes out violence and destruction. And so these messages from God, he writes, have made me a household joke. And I can't stop. If I say to myself, I'll never mention the Lord or speak in your name, your word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. And I'm weary from holding it in. Implication, he's tried that and it's not worked very well. He says, I've heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. And they say, if you say anything, we'll report it. Even my old friends are watching for me, waiting for a fatal slip. He'll trap himself, they say, and then we'll get our revenge on him. I curse the day I was born. May the day of my birth not be blessed. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. 
Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts. For he did not kill me at birth. Oh, that I died in my mother's room, he writes, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble and sorrow and shame. Do you get the picture? He's cursing his birthday. He's cursing the guy who passed out cigars and said it's a boy. Wishing he'd been stillborn. On and on we go. Uh, He just took all of his jumbled up emotions and vomited him out. Raw and unvarnished before God and, and before us. As it's been recorded in scripture. And you know, God let him vent because God knows that life is full of disappointments. It's full of grief. It's full of stuff that we don't like. And surprise, surprise, stuff he doesn't like. He knows that faith and obedience are not always easy. Not long after that, the people of Jerusalem, who'd been repeatedly warned and given opportunities to escape, uh, they watched the king of Babylon with his massive armies arrive. They arrived at the city of Jerusalem. He laid siege to the city. He cut off the food supply. Famine began to spread. Sickness began to uh, afflict the people. You'd think about that time that the people of Israel would begin to listen to Jeremiah, wouldn't you? Because he'd been saying this was going to happen for a long time. I mean, right before their very eyes, a, a very clear prophetic statement that went contrary to everything else everybody else was saying. I mean, completely contrary to the... Israeli media at that time, I mean, has happening now. Now we got, here he is, right outside the city with his armies, and we're surrounded, and he's cutting off the food supply. You'd think they'd start listening, right? But they didn't. Instead of things getting better for Jeremiah, the truth is, if you read the biblical text, things got worse. One day, Jeremiah was preaching about the destruction that was now upon them. When he finished, the Bible says, The priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, You must die. Through a long chain of events, he narrowly escaped execution. But if you read the biblical text, they really, really tried. Shortly after that, Jeremiah was again preaching. When he finished, the Bible says that the officials of the city threw him into a a cistern. You know what a cistern is? You remember the old... You go to the old farmhouse, you know, have the, the pump out there. You know, you have the water is contained in, down in the ground in a cistern. They throw him into this cistern filled with mud. They began to drop rocks on his head and, and eventually left him there to drown or starve. But again, he was rescued at the last minute from certain death. Not long after that, the king of Babylon's army busted through the city's walls. He conquered Jerusalem, and most of its people were either killed or they were carried off into exile. And even though Israel deserved everything that happened to him from God's perspective, because even though they deserved it all, and even though Jeremiah in his heart knew that they were evil and corrupt, they'd been sacrificing their children to idols, not just one or two of them, but just like masses of them. It was a cultural thing. It was what they'd become, who they'd become as a nation. Even though they deserved judgment, 
He was nonetheless overwhelmed with grief, and he sat down by a river and tearfully penned a journal of events and thoughts and reflections. And you probably remember the title of his journal. It's called Lamentations, The Lament. You can read it in the Old Testament portion of your Bible. Jeremiah's Reflections. You do a study of Jeremiah's life, and I can assure you this is an overview of it. You do his analysis of his life. Most things didn't go his way. His emotions were a mess. People didn't like him. Sometimes he was mad at God. Most of the time he was confused about the impact his life was having, wondering, why am I not more successful? I thought with God's partnership I could make a difference. But you know what? Jeremiah did not quit. Repeatedly he was knocked down. Repeatedly he got up. And instead of becoming cynical and hard-hearted toward God, which of course was a temptation, I want you to listen to what Jeremiah writes near the end of his pain-filled life in the lament, in Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 19 and following. I'm not going to read the whole section, but a few verses here. He says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. And just listen to what he writes. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercy we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it's good to wait patiently, quietly for salvation from the Lord. For the Lord does not abandon anyone forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion according to the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Hear what Jeremiah is saying. Even in the midst of my trials and testing and pain, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Not because all of life is wonderful, but because God is wonderful. And that is really who He is. He's compassionate. He's faithful. He's wonderfully good to those who will turn toward Him and seek Him. He may bring grief at times, but He doesn't enjoy it. In fact, He does it for our good. Friends, that is what trust-filled, mature faith looks like. Anybody can say, I trust God when everything's going their way. The real test of faith is will I trust God when it's all going against me? You see, faith is more than an intellectual 
belief that there is a God. Remember what James says? Even the demons believe that and they shudder. It's more than just a code of conduct. It's more than some religious system. Faith is when we learn to follow God in action-oriented, intercessory-oriented ways and trust Him even when we're tested. And before you think, oh, that was just Jeremiah who had a really hard life. Abraham, the father of faith, was asked by God to leave his family, his home, and go to a place that God would tell him about later. Remember that? What's Abraham do? He follows in action-oriented ways. He intercedes on behalf of family members, and he does all the things, and he trusts God even though he's... Initially, he doesn't get to that place. He ends up in a whole different place, Haran. And along the way, God says, I'm going to give you a son. And he's childless, and his wife is in old age. And Sarah laughs because she's in her 90s and thinks, Ooh. You know? A chuckle just like, just like us. She knows... This ain't going to happen. And I suppose because Abraham was Abraham, she says, unless God intervenes, you know, half-hearted at best in belief. It's learning to trust when tested. Sometimes the tests are promises made that aren't delivered on our time schedule. Sometimes it's tragedy that comes into our life. Sometimes it's It's career variations that we didn't see coming. Sometimes it's just learning to put into practice the things that the Bible tells us to do, just basic instructions. I I, I think back when I was learning how to tithe, you know, give 10% of my income, our income in early days of our marriage. There were a lot of days, a lot of weeks that I just thought, because we were making like back in those days like $15,000 a year, okay, newly married and you say, well, there's a difference in economy. $15,000 a year. And uh, 20-something years ago, that was still $15,000 a year. And it did not, you know, it didn't buy much. I can guarantee it. My point is, is that I can remember with that and just realizing, I don't know. I guess I'm going to trust. And I'm going to do it and see if God honors only to watch him do that in ways that I couldn't have expected. I I could go on with these kind of things, but the point is, I don't know what situations are a part of your life at the moment where you feel like you're being tested. I do know this, every one of us feels that. Some of us, like, feel it on steroids right now. The question for you this morning is, Will you look at Jeremiah? Will you look at Abraham? Will you look at Gideon? Will you look at Esther? Will you learn from the, from the lessons of these people and a countless, long list of others? And will you trust in God's goodness even in the midst of your testing? When you and I learn to do that, that's faith. That's faith. We're maturing in our faith.
want to share one last passage of Scripture. The Bible says this in James 1, 2 to 4, it makes no sense unless you understand what faith is that I've just described. But after this description, this passage makes sense. James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, notice what he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Whoa! That doesn't make any sense unless you understand what he goes on. It says, For you know that when your faith is tested... Your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing except God himself. That's all you'll need. So God calls us to be who he calls us to become. Maybe this morning uh, you need to thank God that the tests that you've experienced in your life aren't exactly like Jeremiah's. But whatever you're being tested, maybe you need to just open it up to God and say, God, would you help me? Would you meet me where I am? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. <clears throat> maybe you'd like someone to pray for you today about some tests that you're going through. Uh, we'd be honored to pray for you before you leave about that. Um, I would encourage you to be praying, if you haven't been, for our congressman and you know, governmental representatives, uh, keep them in your prayers. Uh, if you haven't noticed, they're going through a time of testing right now. And in many respects, we as a nation are. I don't even think you have to be a prophet like Jeremiah to figure that out. So just, uh, just pray for our nation. God help America. <laughs> just keep it succinct. Just pray. Because honestly, if you're like me, I don't even know what to pray beyond that. God help us. God help America. Because uh, you don't know. Anyway, I want diesel. If you need to demonstrate your faith through baptism, I want to invite you as well to let me know. We'd be happy to help you with that as we're going to do one after church today. Okay, Let's bow our heads, pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for every person here. Thank you that you've called all of us to be men and women of faith. And Father, all of us in this room would be quick to admit that, that when we look at somebody like Jeremiah, we look at believers in the Middle East and North Africa, some of these places, who the, the, the horrific things that they're enduring for your name's sake. Um, we just don't know how they do it. I'm sure that you're involved in helping them and strengthening them. And God, we, we need your help and your strength as well. Help us to rise to the occasion where we are to be men and women of faith who trust even when tested. And Father, as you help us to that end and one day uh, reward us for that, whether it's in this life or the life that's really life in eternity, God, either way, we just ask, God, that you would help us to remain faithful. Pray, Father, for your blessing on every person here. I know we get health issues, we've got relational marriage and family issues, we've got financial problems that some of us are struggling with trying to figure out. Some of us have got career issues and power struggles and workplaces that we just don't know what to do with and it's messing with us. On and on, Father, you know the stuff that's a part of our lives. Help us to walk in faithfulness and in faith. Go with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. 
May you bless our fathers. May you bless our families as we endeavor to honor you this day and this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.